Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal, and you are listening to the Talking Grammar Podcast. This is episode 55 now of the podcast. Took about a week and a half or so off from the podcast because of a rather unique set of circumstances that presented itself um, to everybody around Lobo basketball, New Mexico State University basketball, just college basketball in general. Didn't really think it was best to continue with the podcast at the time. So here we are back. It's been a unique first month for the UNM Lobo basketball team in that they are now 7-0. and And as I record this, they're one of the final 14 teams out of 363 Division I teams. As of Saturday evening, they're one of the 14 final teams that are undefeated. Um, I don't see that changing anytime in the next several days at least. They, they do play Division II Western New Mexico on Tuesday night. They play UT San Antonio a week from today as I record this on next Saturday. And they've now added a game. For those that haven't heard, they added a game December 12th. They will be playing the San Francisco Dons in Las Vegas, Nevada. They they added that kind of last minute after the cancellation of the New Mexico State series, the, the home-and-home rivalry series with New Mexico State after the UNM campus shooting that occurred on November 19th that involved the Nagy basketball player. So after they lost those two games, the UNM Lobos kind of lost two of their five non-conference opportunities to build a, a postseason resume. So I talked today with my guest for episode 55, Richard Patino. I, I talked with him about why they went about adding this game. I mean, in, a, in another year, maybe they would have thought about just, ah, we could add Northern New Mexico, we could add another division, non-division one team. But this year, they are in a spot, as I said, 7-0, and coming off of a Wednesday night win in California over St. Mary's. It's really a resume-building win right now, statistically speaking. It is the best win that the Mountain West Conference has had this season in the Ken Palm rankings. It was a true road win over a St. Mary's program that is a perennial NCAA tournament team, snapped the Gales' 23-game home win streak, it was a national sort of eye-opener for a lot of the, the reporters that cover college basketball around the country, and the Lobos continue to climb in those Ken Palm rankings and the and all the computer rankings, and, and they are starting to get attention now. So they are in a spot where losing those two New Mexico State games, even if New Mexico State right now isn't rated what it has been in the past several years, we know that they're always going to be a contender in the WAC. This is their last season in the WAC. They're always going to be a contender there. So those were two opportunities, especially the road game, which would have been here today or in Las Cruces today on December 3rd as I record this. And they would have been playing. Instead, the the Lobos lose that road game. They lose the home game opportunity that they had, which could have been a sellout. It was certainly trending towards well over 15,000. The pit holds 15,411. So not far-fetched to say that if they were definitely going to be over 15,000, that maybe they would have squeaked in, you know, another several hundred and gotten to 15,411 for the first sellout since March of 2015. So they lose that game because of the tragedy in that shooting. And as such, they had to add, they had a decision to make, really. Do you add a game uh, because you really believe that you truly have a postseason resume to build? Or do you just sort of maybe add a non-division one game that won't help your postseason chances, but might give you some home revenue? Um, at the ticket office, they decided to go find a decent game with uh, San Francisco. Not a whole lot of teams in December still have openings on the schedule, mind you. But the Lobos did find San Francisco a top 100 ranked team. You go beat them on a neutral court, assuming the Lobos win. You beat them on a neutral court, it counts as a quad two win. That is a, a quality win for a postseason resume. 
you need quad one wins, you need quad two wins, and uh, that this one gives them an opportunity for one of those where they lost in losing the uh, New Mexico State game. So I talked to Richard Pitino about that, but I also talked with him about where he's at seven games into this really unique season so far where they had a long pause because of the missing of the New Mexico State game. The, the circumstances surrounding losing the first potential sellout in, in about seven years. And that kind of stuff is, is part of the, the equation for what makes this such a unique season so far. But the other part of it is they're just really good. Right now they've been playing really good. They've not only been beating um, the, the, the opponents they're supposed to be beating, but they've been beating them pretty soundly. There was a 24-point win against the Northern Colorado team that today beat Colorado State in Fort Collins. There was a 21-point win at SMU against, on the road, a true road win. Now that SMU team, we don't know how good they are. They, they actually lost today as well to a previously winless Jackson State team. So they've been doing what they're supposed to do. But they've also been doing it by by a good margin. It's not just the results. It's how they're doing it. They've been playing well. They have their two new big men in Morrissey Daisy and Josiah Alec that are playing really well in the post. They have last year's returning guards, Jalen House and Jamal Masperin Jr. still doing their high-scoring thing and leading the offense. But then they got two guys in particular that I think have really stepped up. Um, K.J. Jenkins, a senior co-captain on the team, who I think is just as steady as they come. When he's on the court... Things calm down for the Lobos. They play well. And then Donovan Dent, the freshman phenom from California, really coming into his own. Those two guys are going to end up getting a lot more minutes, I think, down the stretch of the season and as they start league play in a few weeks. So talk to to Richard Pitino about all that kind of stuff. Talk to him about where his team's at, what the future, what the immediate future, anyway, of this program is, and uh, some really fascinating stuff and how he's breaking things down for the team, how he's explaining to them what they should be looking at what they should be focused on and uh had had a fun conversation with him about this appreciate his time for doing this about 50 minutes you know a a month into the season after i talked to him in the preseason about what to expect this year so i don't usually do that one month into the season ask the the coach of the team i cover for another hour long sit down but here we are we uh we talked earlier this afternoon on saturday december 3rd and about everything about the new mexico state rivalry being canceled about the St. Mary's win about his team's 7 and 0 start and adding a game and and just about every single player everything every single scholarship player rather on the roster and sort of what where they're at in terms of what he expected from them and how many of them maybe are surprising him a little bit so hope you enjoy this conversation hope you enjoy all our coverage of the Lobo basketball team all Lobo athletics and high school sports around the state of New Mexico in the pages of the Albuquerque Journal www.abqjournal.com slash subscribe is how you can subscribe and help local journalism help make sure that we continue things like this podcast things like getting to travel and cover the team on the road for big wins like they had at st mary's i i do appreciate the the journal for allowing us to continue to do that but it only happens with you helping us out by subscribing to local journalism abqjournal.com slash sports is how you can follow all our coverage And I do appreciate the feedback you guys have been sending about this podcast and about all our coverage. Continue to do so. Ggrammer at abqjournal.com is my email, at Jeff Grammer on Twitter, always listening. So hope you enjoy this conversation I had with Lobo men's basketball coach Richard Patino. As we record this, you know, it would have been a game day. I'm kind of curious to 
to sort of just ask coaches in general, and, and we've sort of asked you this at pressers before, but what's a what's a game day like? What what would you be doing right now had had you not been joining the uh, wonderful podcast that you're on now? If this was a game day and we're looking at about you know one thirty in the afternoon, what what what's game day like for for Richard Patino at this time of day? Yeah, I mean, I try. Um, so I mean, if it's like let's say it's a seven o'clock game, um, I try not to get in so early because it's a long day. Uh, but I normally, because I've got two kids at one school and another kid at another, I'll help my wife and take one of them to school. Um, so I normally end up getting in around eight, get a workout in. Um, you know, the hay is in the barn, so to speak, as it pertains to watching film on the opponent. You know, um, I, I kind of write up my play card, whether it's ATOs, underneath that of bounds, plays I want to run out of timeouts. So I get all that out of the way before shoot around. Um, shoot arounds normally at 1130 after we have some classes and then we go 1130 to about one o'clock where I'll do that. Plus do my pregame with, with, with Rob, with, um, with the radio stuff. And then I normally go home and I do a little four mile walk. Um, where I, I, I just try to get my mind off of the game. Um, and then, and then it kind of, that kind of gets me through the day. So I do try to keep that routine, uh, to where I'm not going a little too stir crazy um, to the best of my ability. When you're walking, are you listening to anything or is it just you and the. Yeah, normally music, maybe a podcast, or if Jill comes to me, I won't listen to anything, but uh, I love it. You know, I mean, to be able to do that, uh, um, to kind of get some sun and it's warm enough. Uh, my old stop, you couldn't do that, but but I do really love it. And it, it does clear my mind a lot. And on the road too, though you go for a walk, you know, I guess depending maybe yeah. on where you are, but you go uh, on you the find road. I'll work. Uh, yeah, I get a workout in the fitness center. I mean, I try to get about an hour into where I'm not watching film and I'm not thinking about anything else. Um, do you on game days? Uh, at, at what point did you stop getting nervous, or maybe start getting nervous? Were you ever nervous? Um, do you still get nervous at all, or is it more anxious than nerves? Um, or or do you, or I, anxious? Maybe I don't want to even presume that. Yeah, I would say um, I was way less anxious earlier in my career. But okay. I think the more scars that I have um, through coaching so many games, I know all the insane things that could happen. I probably get a little bit more anxious. Um, and that's why I try to get as prepared with, um, you know, everything. I, I think – I, I try to be a good husband, a good father, and a good coach. And I try I got to make sure I get all that stuff off my plate so that I can be free of thinking about all those things. Um, you know, so, yeah, I still get anxious. Um, but then it's amazing, though, once I get into that locker room and I get into the huddles, all the nerves and anxiety goes away. Um, so, yeah, I would say when I'm away from it all, I'm for sure way more anxious and nervous than when I dive into it. What are the people around you like? Are, do they stay away from you? Um, which I guess maybe probably says something about how you might be on game day. And if you're not that anxious, maybe they don't avoid you. But, you know, no. are, are you the type that people avoid? No, 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 no. I mean, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be around Jill. Like the kids are normally in school. Yeah. Um, and I'm good. I mean, I'm not like well, something where I'm unapproachable by any means. But I just try to tell her on game days like, Hey, let's let's make sure that we can take up as much off my plate as possible, tickets, whatever, um, to where I can be in a right frame of mind. Uh, and then, but but 
when I drive in, Jack almost always wants to come in with me because he's a ball boy. Uh, but he's good. He's quiet in the car. Um, he's so got to no, get ready, too. He's got a pregame, too, I, I imagine. Yeah, I'm sure he does. He thinks he does, for sure. But, no, I, I'm pretty good. I mean, I, I, I try to kind of keep the same approach through everything uh, to not kind of get too emotional about it all. But, yeah, I think exercise has always been good for me on game day. All right, last one, then I'll get off this and actually talk about your team a little bit here. Is uh, any other coaches or any other players through the years that you that stand out that were either just so nervous it was, you know, I guess, memorable, comical, maybe I don't know, or or just had some sort of really off the wall routine? Uh, not nobody too bad. Um, they're all a little bit different, you know. My dad and Coach Donovan for sure used exercise as a big um escape you know i mean they always wanted to get a workout in um ron everhart at duquesne um he had kind of his pregame ritual too so um you know i the longer i do it, it it's more about getting myself in the right frame of mind so i'm at my best and everybody's different um every player is different you know you try to put together kind of a uniform um set of rules of, okay, this is what time everybody needs to be here. This is what we're wearing on the court. Uh, but also making sure that we're not taking them out of their whatever that pregame is as well. So everybody's unique. Uh, the guy who thinks they're the best player is always a little bit more unique for sure. Uh, but you know what? You got to let them be themselves as well and uh, let them get their routine. But the more I do it, the more I do it, the less it's about pregame speeches and the more it's about, okay, we're going to review it and we're going to play the music and let you guys do your deal. Um, so I, I try to keep it very, very brief before games. You got a pretty mature group too. This, this roster is a lot of really experienced guys. Do you see a difference though, between those freshmen, like the true freshmen and, and mash house Morris you know, and Josiah or. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely experience helps for sure. Um, you know, you normally, we kind of run through the game plan real quick. Um, and a lot of that we do at shoot around so that before the game, they can all be in their mode, but experienced guys for sure understand. And that's why we've won on the road. I think is like, we're not that young right now. And the experienced guys are playing, but it's funny. I, I drew up on the board today, the stats of house mash, Javante, Josiah and Morris in game seven of their freshman year. And none of them were good. <laughs> and I told everybody else, I said, guys, just look at these stats and you could look them up or I, I can even send them to you. Um, but it's really, really interesting. Uh, none of them had good games. There was a lot of offers, a lot of minimal minutes. And I just said, man, stay the course, everybody. Like we know, obviously we haven't lost yet, but we know you guys want individual success and everybody's running a different race. Is that a message for just the freshmen, or is it also to remind them like what to expect of these freshmen, like give them a little bit of a, a learning curve space too. Yeah. It's, it's a message to everybody, uh, coaches, players. I mean, like we all want it to happen right away, but yeah, like you said, like stay patient with the younger guys, like Sebastian, he's kind of had some tough moments as of yeah. late, stay patient with him. He's going to be a really good player, um, or Barima, or then obviously the freshmen, um, but it was an eye-opener because I didn't put their names next to it. And I said, does anyone know what these numbers are? And guys are like, I was like, Mash, that was you, game seven. And Morris, Morris played three minutes in game seven of his freshman year, uh, had two fouls. Um, you know, so, yeah, I think it's a reminder to everybody to, in this instant gratification society, we we all want it, not just the players. 
be patient. Keep working hard. All right. As we record this, uh, we, you, you would have been in Las Cruces normally. Um, you, you, you've had a presser since then. Eddie had a presser kind of covering the, the big picture as to why the series got canceled. Um, you've had a little bit more time to think. Has anything changed in your mind? This is a, not just the canceling of a game, which I guess sometimes might happen, although other than COVID, I don't know when games really got canceled. But this is, this is a, a rivalry, a home-and-home home in-season rivalry. This is a big deal to people in this state. Um, can you just sort of walk us through again your general thoughts on on what happened with uh, having to cancel this NMSU game and, and sort of how that affected the the team? We don't need the specifics of the obviously the incident necessarily, but I'm just yeah, curious I how mean, the team responded. I think this um, obviously the specifics we've we've discussed. So I'm not trying to sound insensitive, but as right. it pertains to my program, you know, I was really proud of to be in what game four of year two of a major rebuild to capture the New Mexico community. Again, I was really proud of the effort that went to, from an administration, from our players to be able to get that sellout. I was proud of that. Is it, is it the end all be all? No, like we want to win games and then that gets taken from you and the momentum, it's just, it goes away. Um, and the point that I made, and I still believe this is so important is I think the right decision um, by Eddie was certainly in there. AD Mario was to postpone the game. Like that, that was too fresh. That was not, I don't think anybody was in the mindset of playing the game just from safety and all that, but you have to take a step back and truly gather the facts. It wasn't about the rivalry, you know, although it was smart not to play the game, it wasn't really about our fans. It wasn't about, so, you know, obviously something happened at a football game and then this stemmed to that. So my whole thing from day one has been take the emotion out of it and whoever's involved, hold them accountable. And if there was anybody through this whole situation that could have done something that could have made this avoidable, hold them accountable. And, and I don't know what those all are. Mm-hmm. You know, the people uh, involved, whether it's police whether it's administration, coaches, or whatever, just evaluate everything, um, be as transparent and truthful as possible, and just get better from it so that things like this don't happen again. Because besides the fact that it's an obvious when a a life is lost, obviously that's a big deal. But this affects our community. It affects our state. Um, So, you know, transparency and accountability is the most important thing. So, from a basketball standpoint, that our guys responded really well because all of a sudden you have a sold-out crowd taken from you, and then you have 10 days off, uh, and our guys handled it very, very well. That was a situation, too, where there's nothing really comparable. Nobody can really say, oh, I remember when we went through that. Had you ever gotten anything? And if the answer is no, that's fine. Um, I don't need you to force a, a square peg into a round hole here, but have you ever gone any through anything quite like having a rivalry series like that canceled, especially under such dramatic circumstances? The only thing that's comparable, and I think that canceling games has become a little bit more of the norm because of a pandemic than in the past. Right. Like they never cancel games. Yeah, I don't. Before. I can't recall. Yeah, um, I was at Minnesota. There was a seventy-five degree below zero game, and we still had the game. Um, the only thing comparable was when I was at Duquesne as an assistant coach, it was in September. Um, 
there was a shooting on campus and five of our players got shot. It was a party uh, on campus. Some non-Duquesne students came to the party. There was a fight and five of our players legitimately got shot. That was obviously more to do with our program. Um, and that was, that was about as crazy I've ever seen. So that's the only thing somewhat comparable uh, to what this was. All right. Well, that kind of uh, led to, again, not taken away from the uh, the seriousness of the actual incident that happened and, and somebody dying, somebody being hospitalized and, and all those lives that were changed. But from the basketball standpoint, that led to you guys losing two of your biggest opportunities in the non-conference. You have 13 scheduled non-conference games. I would say about five of them gave you guys a real good opportunity to, to build quad one or quad two potential um, wins. And the rest aren't bad games necessarily, but they, they weren't going to hurt you type games, but they probably weren't going to build a resume type game either. So you, you lost two out of five right there. And then as I've noted, you guys didn't foresee this when you signed the home and home with SMU two years ago or before last season, but they're going through a rebuild that they're not quite, that road win isn't quite what it once was. So now you're talking three of your five opportunities aren't really what you thought they were going to be. So you're left with a situation where if you have two openings, you guys really had to try and find something that might be able to, to go on a resume, I would think. And, and I'm curious how that process went. Did you just consider not finding a game? Well, we're looking for one rather. Yeah, um, I would say this. Um, pretty amazing that we're talking about this so early in this rebuild. Um, yeah. To be in year two from where that. we yeah. were when we took over to now. So my mindset was this. I had no idea where we would really be. I thought we'd be drastically improved for sure. When I put together the schedule, my mindset was this, Okay. We're going to start a series with SMU. That's a regional game. It, you know, we have fans in Dallas. It's a good name, I think, for people to bring a program that I, I didn't think that Coach Jankovic would be fired. So I thought that's a healthy program that's winning games. They made the NIT. They're always going to be good. Great to start a home-and-home home with them. So that was one. Then I started the Iona game, although – I In my mind, I thought, okay, people will get engaged because it's me versus my dad, so that'll be a great crowd because we got to find ways to get the New Mexico fans back to the pit. But I also thought Iona's going to win a lot of games. They yeah. always win a lot of games. So that's your potential quad two in your building. Then I thought, okay, St. Mary's, now we had to play a bye game. I wasn't really crazy about it. <laughs> Um, but from a budget standpoint, we had to go do that. Can, can I, real quick, can I can I interject real quick? There were yeah. some people asking me about UNM playing a bye game there, and why would why in the world would UNM play a bye game? You did have to play a bye game. I get that, but it, that wasn't a situation where you guys are trying to make budget or anything off that. You guys just had to like fit in one more road game and make it a buy to get one of the buys for home. I and mean, it wasn't like a this is a make or break budget kind of situation. Um, for, for that yes game. no to a certain extent like i don't want to play buy games uh, i don't want to be bought at the university of new mexico but because we played the lobo classic yep. there's other ways to do it you know what i mean so it was a little bit of a budget thing for sure um now i think whenever you take over a program you know you hope that the budget increases and you play less buy games so i think if i had played more home and homes i may not have had to buy as many games at home 
Okay. You know what I mean? Because we bought a certain amount of buy games. The preference would have been buy- home and home, though. What? The preference is home and home, though, as opposed yeah, to buy. So I didn't want to play a home and home with SMU, a home and home with Iona, home and home with New Mexico State. I could have probably played another one and then maybe not a bought. So, yeah, okay. Um, yes and no. You know, there was probably a way around it. So then when we talked about, okay, we got to go get bought, I looked at St. Mary's and I said, okay, I know they're going to be good because they have been consistent across the board. The worst thing to do is play a buy game, get bought, and then they're not very good. And all of a sudden, you're not getting the return on that risk that you're taking. So we played the St. Mary's game, uh, figuring that they would be good because they're just such a stable program, see if we can steal one. Um, Obviously, we were able to do that. The New Mexico State game. So in my opinion, that's five opportunities out of your 13, right? right? So we play the Division II team in what Western New Mexico. Well, that's a cheaper buy game. Five, you know, yeah. that's not that's a five thousand dollars instead of seventy five or whatever is the standard. And they and they love it, by the way. I mean, I know the coaches at the D two schools here. Like that five thousand goes a long way for them. Yeah, so no doubt. Good, yeah. So we do that. So there is some budget things for sure of why we're trying to do that. But everybody deals with it. It's not just in New Mexico. You know, like like Saint San Diego State played. Occidental. Or Occidental yeah. or something last night. So, yeah. like, that's that's pretty normal, too. Like, Wyoming opened with a D2. Um, so we did that. Uh, and then with the remaining eight, I wanted to schedule teams like South Alabama and Southern Utah, who I thought could win a lot of games. Well, now, to your point, New Mexico State's off the board. And we're having a really And we're having a, a really good year. Like, who knows? Knock on wood, injuries and everything. Like, we could potentially be in contention for something here. Now you better go out and find a quality game. Um, Eddie told me to look at Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, UCLA, Arizona, in a home and home. And I said, Eddie, I tried all those. Um, but I we needed to find, um, in my mind, a neutral site and then maybe start a home and home. That, that That's my goal. So we got the neutral site with Sam Friend, which is great. I'm assuming if we can find a way to win, that's probably a quad two. Um, and then what I think we'll do is we've got two dates, actually uh, January 10th and December 4th, or no, January 10th and February 4th are by games or by weeks in the conference tournament. Maybe we can find something. Maybe there's a COVID cancellation or something where we could start a home and home. Um, you know, so that's kind of the mindset through. So so the the second opening on your schedule is not off the table that you're you're hoping maybe something could still happen yeah for sure okay. the, the key to this whole thing is how many quality wins can you get it's really not about how many losses you have it's yeah. about how many can you stack up you know and clearly we got one with saint mary's who knows if smu improves that's another road that's two right there um if you can get san fran if you can get iona those are quality wins the more the better you know, so uh, as I said before, I would be remiss to say I can't believe we're talking about this in year two. Um, so there's a lot of hard work that's gone into it for sure. Well, so the next thing I want to ask is sort of where are you at? And you, you sort of touched on it where, you know, are, are you ahead of schedule? You, you probably are, and at least in some respects, um, where where is this team right now? Is 
we talked about the reason for some of the, like SMU had the firing, so they're not maybe exactly what you thought, but 7-0. and Would you have ever guessed 7-0 and at this point? Um, you know, no. at, at what point did you think this was doable, just after it happened on Wednesday night? <laughs> um, well, I think there's a couple things. The transfer portal rule changed. Yeah. It changed the year that I got this job. So – in year four at Minnesota, it was my best team. I took two transfers who or two transfers who sat out, like they couldn't play. We probably been a lot better in year three. So if you think about this team, this team's got four of the five starters of transfers. Um, so that has a lot to do with being able to do it quicker. But I also don't think it means it's easy because everybody's trying to get transfers, so it levels the playing field, so to speak. Um, you never know what you really have until you're really a couple of years into it. So um, because you don't know what you have on your roster and then now you got to figure out what to do to improve on your roster. You got to get the schedule, right? Like there's so many factors that go into it. So we are 100% way ahead of schedule. Now I liked our team in the summer um, season's not over yet, uh, but to be able to have two true road wins, um is great so you know there's um there's a lot of good things going on right now and we just got to keep our foot on the gas with everything um that's the biggest thing because it, it this thing can flip one way or the other very quickly in the transfer portal world that we're living in so it's year to year um and it's going to be hard for everybody all programs to have stability because you just don't know what's in front of you um but obviously I'm excited about where we're at right now, for sure. I know you guys. You said keep the foot on the gas and all that. And how much of that, you, you coaches, for for you know all the all the praise you guys get and all the attention you get and all your guys' contracts and all that. Like you guys all say that the best teams are the ones that are run by the players, right? A player driven team. So like your best teams are the ones you hand over to these experienced players. How much of those experience uh, – you have an experienced roster, so how much of that experience, though, is knowing what to ha- or how to handle this? Because it wasn't like any of them were at 7-0 teams before either. So you, failed the ex- to rec- you failed to mention the criticism that we get and the stress <laughs> that we go through. That's okay. You can talk about all the positive. Um, well, that's where the experience of the staff goes into play. Okay. Um, there's one player on this team who's been to an NCAA tournament. That's Morris. And that's crazy um, because – and he's a fifth – the only reason you even have him is because of COVID allowed for a fifth year. Yeah. And nobody on this roster has been to one. That, that's a pretty what, remarkable thing to me. So what's really funny is when I was an assistant coach at the University of Florida. So I was an assistant coach at the high major level for five years. And I was at Duquesne and College of Charles and all those things before, Northeastern. But – my my first year at the University of Florida. So my first two years at Louisville, we went to back-to-back Elite Eights. Then I go to Florida. And we're in the NCAA tournament, and the, um, the national anthem is being played. And Rob Lanier, who's now the head coach at SMU in Dallas, says to me, he goes, man, I'm nervous. He goes, this is my first NCAA tournament. And Rob had been in the profession for like 20 years. So it shows you how hard it is and how spoiled we can all get Um you know, I've been, what, two as a head coach, and then I went to five as an assistant. So I've been to seven, and I'm 40 years old, plus growing around it my whole life. So I'm lucky to do that. So, um, you know, how you operate on a day-to-day basis has nothing to do with NCAA tournaments. It really doesn't. It's just about putting together the standard 
and being clear to our players about this is what we're doing and this is the way you need to do it. And we're going to hold you accountable if you don't. Uh, not necessarily in a running or whatever, but like, no, this is how we're guarding things. So um, it's more about that. And then the players being clear to each other. No, this is what coach wants. This is the terminology we're going to use. So it's on me. I always say it's on me to provide the clarity of the mission and the staff to provide the clarity of what we're trying to do. And then you guys go do it. And I thought the St. Mary's game was so good for so many reasons because my staff put together an awesome game plan. If you heard what I said before the game, I said, this is going to be a rock fight. It's not going to be pretty. We're going to win. We're going to have to win the game in the sixties. And it did that. And I think when you have moments like that, where you can build some credibility amongst your team, um, that's, that's where the magic can happen. So, um, it's all about trust amongst everybody. And you know what? If we screw up as a coaching staff, we own it. You know, like if the players aren't doing what we tell them to do, they got to own it. You know, so it's all it's all kind of uh, works hand in hand. That, that St. Mary's win, does it – look, you, you'll take a win at St. Mary's however it comes. So I'm not suggesting, you know, you would have rather have been pretty from start to finish. But is it almost more sweet – because of that 13 to two hole you guys were in and that they, they didn't panic that they didn't, you know, kind of fold it up or, or maybe break into hero ball. Like, uh, like maybe I think some people expected the team to do a little bit more than they did. Um, maybe resort to last year when, when there wasn't an option down low and that kind of stuff. And I, I think they kind of stuck with what you guys wanted for the most part. Yeah. I mean, I looked at it. I, I love the game because we started off the game and we were we were trying to drive in there and nothing was open and 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 they're so good at slapping down and and, and they're so physical on their you know bumping you and so all of a sudden we got away from that and we went to low post basketball well Morris gets hurt we or gets in foul trouble we go to Josiah um then the second half Mash wasn't playing well we go with some actions to Mash he scores seven straight then we go to Donovan Dent in the high ball screen and he makes some really good plays. So there was just um, there was like different storylines throughout the course of the game that I thought were really good. We took them out of their ball screen stuff. They went into post-ups because we were small and we had to find a way to adjust, you know, small on the perimeter and they're posting up their guards. Um, so I just thought it was it was a great game all around because it had different things happen throughout the course yeah. of the game and guys stepped up. Um so I think it shows the versatility of our offensive package where we're not all the same thing all the time. Last year we were. This year we're able to do a variety of things. We play small. I mean, we had House, Smash, and Donovan in the game. We had Javante Summit to four. Uh, so a lot of a lot of really good things. But again, I thought we'd have to win the game in the 60s because this program that's been doing it that way for 20 years, they're going to impose their will on you, which is okay. you got to be able to win a variety of ways. To, to your point about the so many different storylines, one thing I noted afterwards in a column that I wrote online was, like, at the end, everybody was just so blown away by Donovan, a freshman, you know, closing the game out the way he did. Morris comes back in the second half, scores 11 of his 13, and, and of course, Mash, like you said, had those seven points in a row there in that one stretch in the second half when both teams were just going back and forth. But you guys aren't even in a position without House and Josiah in the first half 
um, those two guys stepping in. And just because it was the first half, maybe we forgot about it because that second half was so remarkable. But, um, yeah, you, you guys had legitimately five guys that could have been the post-game interview, that could have been the post-game kind of lead of the story at, at different points in that game. And I, I think, obviously, that's what, what you would want as a coach. It's a great call. I mean, I, I make the decision after every game of who to send out to do media and radio. And I had to take a second there to figure out, you know, because if guys play well, I want them to, you know, have their uh, kind of moment in the sun, so to speak. And it could have been any of them. Um, Donovan, obviously coming off the bench. And, you know, I told our guys, St. Mary's is so good in ball screens. It's going to make us play better defense on ball screens, but it's also going to make us be better on how we execute ball screens. And Donovan has a natural knack for getting in the lane, getting two in the ball, and then kicking off where, you know, Mash and uh, and, and House don't. Um, so we worked on some stuff today that we learned from that game. Um, you know, so it was uh, it was a really good balanced effort, but also what they do – St. Mary's on a consistent basis. There's a lot of things we could take from them and get better at. All right. Well, I don't want to just harp on that one game, but I, I, I'll move this along, although you kind of touched on some of it there. I want to go player specific and kind of bullet point a few of the guys on the team at this, whatever this is, if this is the quarter post or whatever, this this reset of I talked to you in the preseason at the beginning of practice and now this big gap in games, I wanted to kind of check check in with you again. So, like, where is – the the front court of Morris and Josiah in your mind are they where you thought they'd be the the mojo front court are, are they doing what you thought or are they doing more than than you had expected them to do at this point? Well, they've been great. Um, they've been great. I mean, I think uh, we've changed kind of offensively what we're doing, certainly to cater around playing two bigs. When when the, did you know you were going to do that? Did you see that you know, in the I think summer? In the fall. In the fall, we, we had. Um, kind of tried to go with some movement stuff into ball screens, you know, some false motion stuff. And then the more I watched, because I my concern was, can Josiah really play the four? Um, you know, and that's what we recruited him to. And I wanted to stay true to my word. And he was coming what, off an injury too. And yeah. I think people, I don't know if a lot of people know that, that he was injured last year. Yeah. So. And he was injured a lot in the off season. So it's really hard in the summer to really get him true picture of those guys together. Then we were able to, over the fall, take a look and say, because I thought, man, he's a little robotic. I don't know if he can be a five. Um, and then the more and more I watched him, Before, we yeah. went to more of that Gonzaga high-low in transition hit, look down, all right, it's not open, then let's turn it into a ball screen. Um, so it evolved for sure into that. What it's now become even more of is, we're able to post up Morris, but we're also able to post up Josiah. Josiah was last game. He did an unbelievable job of getting, um, who was it? It's number uh, 14 in no rhythm whatsoever, yeah. just by posting them up and fouling them out. Um, so we've been able to interchange Morris and Josiah. And then if Morris is in foul trouble, moving Josiah to the five some. Um, so it's been great. You know, and and both of them can guard on the perimeter too. You know, that's they're both laterally very good as well. Josiah seems such to be such a willing um, step back when Morris is in one of his kind of modes too. 
I haven't seen Josiah, I don't think I, I can recall him really forcing it because he wasn't getting his shots up or, you know, this half I've only touched it twice. I'm going to make sure to take a shot this time. He seems to be pretty willing to let Morris go off when Morris has gone off a few times. Absolutely. That's probably after seven games, the most proud I am of these guys is they have been willing. Okay. Morris is doing good and they're not doubling them. We got to throw it inside. We got to throw it inside. Okay. Now, um, you know, Morris is off. We're going to, we're going to get it to Josiah in the post. All right. Now we're going to work Donovan in ball screens. We're going to go mash into some DHO. Uh, I think they've been great with that. They've seen um, the way the game is evolving, whether it's at SMU working that high, low in transition, um, shooting less threes. You know, we're, we're not shooting a lot of threes. Yeah, you guys are actually shooting like not, it's not just like you're not shooting a lot. You guys are among the, the national, I don't know, leaders isn't the right word, but you guys are shooting as, as few as anybody in the country almost. Yeah, we are. And, but here's what we do we chart it. So over seven games, we are 110 to 175 on layups, which is 63% at the rim. We are 52% on post ups. Our next highest percentage shot is catch and shoot threes at 37%. So I've told the guys the percentage of attempts need to be the highest of the what we're getting we're the best numbers at. We're so talking. they've been really, really mature about it. Like, we're not saying you can't shoot. That's not the point. But find the highest percentage shots. What I have told these guys when you talk about Josiah is you have an opportunity now. Because everybody's on one-year contracts. That's the, that's the reality of the transfer portal. You can always improve your value. And the way to do that is to play hard and play the right way. And when you watch Josiah play, he just plays so hard. Yeah. And he's so relentless. And whatever it is where he gets an opportunity to play professionally somewhere, people are going to want him on their team because of his competitive spirit every single time. And he's he's just relentless. I mean, last game may have been his best game, and it was because he was posting up, offensive rebounding, just playing really hard. Let me ask about your two returners then. They all all league guys in, in Mashburn, obviously, and, and Jalen House. And, and Jalen's a guy that I think kind of, in my mind, if I had to pick one guy that, like, as the team go or as he goes, the team goes, I would have said it was him. Seven games in, I'm, I'm looking at a really balanced team, so I don't know if, if you're making me pick one player that – I would have to say that about it. It'd still be Jalen, but you guys are so balanced. But um, my question is, what is Mash and Jalen, where are they at right now compared to where you maybe thought they would be? Or did you have any concerns that they wouldn't adapt to these two new low post guys? And, and how are they doing? They've been great. Um, I, I met with both of them before the season, and I pulled every pick and roll that they were in and made a really long edit. And I said, this year you have to pass that ball. If they put two on the ball, you got to find somebody else. Um, and it was a little bit of an adjustment. I, I then, this morning, before practice, pulled the last three or four games of all their ball screens, brought them both in together, and I said, okay, guys, I said, we're trying to help your value. If you look at your stats, and any coach that says stats are irrelevant, they're lying. Stats <laughs> are relevant. Stats tell the story. Mash is shooting in the 40s from three. So is House. They're shooting in the 40s from field goals. Okay. Uh, they're shooting in the 80s from the free throw line. They play really, really hard. Now, House 
still needs to cut down on theatrics a little bit. He needs to find a way to not scream at the St. Mary's student section when he makes a shot. It just reflects poorly on him. Now, you got to let him be himself, but when an NBA scout or an overseas scout's watching him play, they got to see substance. And so now the thing that I think they both can improve on is if I put him in a high ball screen, like I did Donovan Dent, are they going to be a surgeon with it? Donovan was a surgeon. Um, so that's something they need to work on. But as it pertains to being team guys and selfless, they've been phenomenal. So those are the four high usage guys, the two new front court guys, the two back returning backcourt guys. Um, real quick bullet points on Javante Donovan, some of the other guys. I, I, let's start with Javante Johnson. He is a guy that you 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 mentioned several times this offseason as sort of the MVP of the offseason. He was he he came in with a lot of I think confidence in great shape. He has not yet had a game where I think fans would say, "Man, that that's the Javante I was hoping to see." How is he coming along with that? Is he is he okay? Is he in your mind um performing okay and we just aren't seeing the stats? Where's Javante at in Yeah, I mean, in? I think it's I think he's giving us a lot. Um Obviously, the number that sticks out is three for 15 from the three. Um, That that needs to go up, and I think he understands that. Uh, I don't think he's taken a lot of bad shots. He had a game with nine rebounds. I forget which game it was in the Lobo Classic, which was great. Uh, I've challenged him to – we have a small perimeter. One of the reasons why he's able to play is he's 6'5". He should be able to guard perimeter guys, so he needs to be a little bit better there. Um, But – He's given us really good minutes. I mean, I think I think he could. The, the on-ball defense needs to improve. Um, I know the sh- shots will fall, but I think a lot of his game doesn't show up on the stat sheet. You know, he comes – he's kind of like MASH. He comes to work every day, works his butt off. Um, he's in great shape, and he competes. Uh, so I think he's had a – you know, good. It, it, has he had great moments yet? Probably not as many as he wants, but I think those will come over time, and he's, he's really – been rock solid with everything else. KJ's a guy too that I think in the offseason appeared maybe to be an odd man out. Um, and and actually, I, I don't think he's getting a ton of minutes. I mean, I don't know how you, again, this is why you guys as coaches get all that criticism and all that attention. Like, I don't know how you divvy up minutes any better, but like KJ seems like a guy that could easily be a 20 minute guy. And I think he's more like around 15 or so. And he, he's been performing when he's out there. He seems to really be a calming kind of presence and things, things don't ever seem out of control when KJ's on the floor. Definitely. Yeah. He's playing 17 a game. 17. Uh, I'd love to find. Yeah. Like you said, around 20 somehow. Um, But when you got really, you know, and you got a lot of good options, it's hard sometimes. Um, the beauty of KJ is he just wants to win and he just wants to get better and he wants to challenge himself. You know, one of the reasons he came here was nobody promised him anything. He wanted to go against mash. He wanted to go against house. Um, he's shooting the ball a little bit better now, uh, but so reliable off the bench, uh, getting better too at kind of the two point game than the three point game, uh, which has been great to see where he's been a little bit more versatile. So um, I think he's been really, really good. And, He's gonna. He's always gonna be called on every game, and he's a, and he's gonna play. He'll make a paycheck playing basketball at some point. Um, he he has accomplished that in his two years, well, one plus year at at this point at UNM. Like he's done what I think he came to do. When you said he wanted to challenge himself, he's proven he can make a paycheck or collect a paycheck. Yeah, and then that's my goal is 
I always say it like I want you to improve your value. I want to help you improve your value after you leave here. Maybe you want to transfer. I want people to turn on their computer and watch Synergy and say, okay, he knows how to play. He plays hard. This is what he does. He's just maybe he's leaving because the role or there's a player in front, whatever. Or if you stay with us and now it's time to go make money playing like the body of work has improved. You know, like Mash and I were talking about it today. Like he was like, what do you think of just the way I'm progressing? And I'm like, you've been with me for this two and a half years. Every year you've gotten better. That's what pro teams want to see. And uh, so that's the goal of this program is we can't fight the transfer thing. It is what it is. Um, Every day that you come in and every day, you know, every game you play in, you you have the opportunity to improve your value. All right, Donovan, uh, I know we've talked about him a lot, so we probably don't need to go in too much depth. But, man, he, he's a guy I know you have said since before the season started, look look the part of the point guard of the future. You, you've you never really kind of downplayed um, the expectations with Donovan Dent. But seven games in, he's, he's still shown some glimpses that maybe out, you know, exceed what people were starting to hyping up a little bit, I think. Yeah, I mean – when the way to turn around a program is recruiting that that's the bottom line. You got to go with some players. Like you cannot win until you get better players. And and Donovan was part of our first true recruiting class. We added eight players off of zooms my first year and we hit on some, I mean, God, we hit on mash obviously played for me. We hit on Jalen house. We hit on KJ. We hit on Sebastian and Barima. Like we, we really did hit for, to be able to not go recruiting like, Sometimes people gloss over that, and I'm like, no, that's not easy. Um, But then our first true recruiting class, we went out and saw Donovan, Braden, and Quentin and really liked all three a lot. Um, And Donovan was a guy who I went and saw his state championship game. Me and Eric Brown went after the season and and saw him play in Sacramento, and just he's just a winner. Uh, Guys like playing with him, you know, he just – because he passes the ball, uh, and he's going to find you. So – uh, it's been so far a really good learning experience for him. And I think, too, when he goes against House and Mash every day, it's going to really help him. Anybody else on this team that has stood out surprising or maybe you think is worth noting? I I, I guess one guy I'll set this up with um, is Sebastian. People that don't know need to know that he, he was hurt all summer. And, like, he – He's had moments where, okay, Sebastian's on the floor. Let's see how much he's progressed. And you haven't been able to see that yet because it doesn't look to me like he's in game shape yet. Um, E-Man hasn't played more than the the minute and 30 or whatever it was, that one game. So maybe those guys aren't in game shape. But anybody that you think's worth sort of just letting fans know kind of their status on the team? Yeah, I mean, I think the point that you're making is is right. Um, Sebastian has not been able to get into a rhythm, and a lot of that has to do with his summer and fall and a lot of bad luck. Sebastian's going to get better and better and better as the year goes on. I mean, he's uh, not out of the rotation or the expectations no, no. in any way, right? No, I mean, I think he was the first guy off the bench, I think, at St. Mary's. Yeah, but. not at all. No, we're going to keep going to him, you know, and he's got to take advantage of those opportunities. Um, E-Man is not 100%. Um, so I don't even look at him as fully cleared right now. Um, Brayden is uh, really excited about him. He's had this thumb deal that's maybe held him back a little bit, but he's he's a freshman. He's just going to yeah. physically get bigger and stronger, but really excited about him. Uh, Quentin Webb and I have discussed, uh, we have every intention of redshirting him. Um, it's not something that I've really announced uh, because I kind of wanted to 
just take it game by game and see how he feels about it. We spoke before the first game and he didn't want a red shirt. And I said, okay. I said, that's, you know, you got the emotion of game one. You're excited. Let's revisit a couple of games. And we had a great talk today about it. I hate the fact that we're not like football where we can't throw them in a couple of games and see it. Um, But if you, if Quentin Webb plays 10 seconds, he can't redshirt. The only way he redshirts after that is with the medical, like he would have to have something bad happen to him. Only a medical situation. So Mm -hmm. that's why right now we are, our intent is to redshirt him. Uh, And he's been great about it. I've never redshirted a player in my 10 years being a head coach. I'll only redshirt a guy if I'm very excited about their future. And that's what I am with Quentin. Um, You know, so who knows if injuries or whatever happened, but that's our intention there. I think the only non-walk on then that we haven't really talked about is Barima. Where, where do you see Barima at, at this point? Especially because we, with Jay Allen Tovar transferring out of the program, Barima seemed to maybe be a guy whose minutes might step up a little bit. Is that accurate? Yeah, and, and he's got to use this. Like, we brought in some experienced transfers. So Barima, Sebastian, all these younger guys have got to use this as a great opportunity for them to get ready when it's their turn. And Barima's that. Um, he got to obviously get bigger and stronger. He's got to live in the gym, work on his jump shot. But the beauty of Barima is there's never going to be a question he's going to play hard. And he does that. So uh, all those minutes that he gets, he's just going to continue to grow and get better. I mean, like I said last year, like we wanted to redshirt him. We just didn't have any depth to do it. Uh, but I'm excited about all of them. You know, that's the key to a program is you recruit really good players and then you develop. And uh, we got to make sure we develop those guys that aren't playing a lot. Cause I have no intention of bringing in those guys at the end of the year and saying, you're not good enough. Like that's not, that's not my belief with any of them. It's just keep getting better. Keep staying the course. All right, Richard, I appreciate you doing this. I, I promise you, I don't really every seven games expect a, a really lengthy, let's break down the whole program every seven games. But um, there was a uniqueness to this first month for you guys in a lot of ways that I thought a reset would sort of work. Um, coming up, uh, you guys have the San Francisco. Well, I guess that's just what you have immediately coming up is a D2 win Western on Tuesday. UT San Antonio, um, the numbers, the ratings aren't going to be high, but those are the games that – Ken Palm numbers and computer ratings if, for fans that don't know, like you guys kind of just walk sleepwalk through one of those games and, and the, the computer ratings start hurting and people need to know that. But then then you got the two good ones, the San Francisco and the Iona games. Um, what What's this next couple of weeks? How important are the next couple of weeks to keeping this momentum going? Well, it, that's the beauty of Ken Palm. Is if you don't like Ken Palm for whatever reason, like, the beauty of Ken Palm is it forces you to emphasize to your players about playing the right way, whether you're up 20 or down 20. Every possession matters. And so what I do is every single game, I have a printout that I read to our guys. And I say, okay, guys, before St. Mary's, we were 58 in OER, which is offense. We're now 52. Before St. Mary's, we were 146 in DER, which is defense. We're now 125. And overall, we were 90, we're now 81. We improved. So keep progressing. You know, I mean, that's the that's the goal. And if you keep progressing in every one of those things, you're probably going to give yourself a chance to win. Uh, So that's why I like advanced uh, analytics and Ken Palm is because it kind of takes the emphasis off the scoreboard a little bit and more of an emphasis on making sure that you're not just jacking up shots or if. 
it's the last three minutes of a game and you're up 20 or you're down 20, the emphasis to cut it to 10 or to make, you know, push it to 30. Um, so I, I like it, you know, I mean, it's a, it's been really beneficial in kind of my coaching style. Um, every game, like you said, they, there's a variety of reasons why it matters. I remember the year COVID hit, my team was 15 and 16 at Minnesota. We were 27 in Kempom. Like we were right there and then COVID hits, but I really thought if we won one or two more, we could probably make the NCAA tournament. Now, obviously, you know, COVID hit, but you've got to continue to play the right way. And I think those advanced analytics are really helpful to to point those out. Do you pay attention to the rest of the league much right now? Yeah. Well, I, I don't watch much of them. Um, just but you're, you're looking at results at least and stuff like that, right? Yeah. So we look at, and again, like, okay, we're 81 in Ken Palm. You know, we obviously were 295 or whatever when I got here. So we've had the second largest jump in the country in two years. Still probably only good enough to be fifth or sixth in our league, you know. So uh, I'm not sure the exact number, but, yeah, we do. Um, I haven't watched much of them, um, but I think the point I'm trying to make to our guys is let's compare ourselves to the best. Well, that's San Diego State. We got a long way to go, and that's, that's what we talk about a lot. I uh, promise you, I, I always tell you, I don't ask you about your dad much, but I'm going to close with this. You got a game coming up with your dad. Do you two talk much um, about that game at all? And what, what can fans really expect um, leading up to that game? Because he's going to talk a big game, isn't he? I don't know if he always um, does. I'm just saying because he's playing you, he's going to tweet or talk a, a pretty big game. Yeah, I mean, we don't. We don't talk at all about the game now. I mean, he's yeah. got – I think he's got a game Sunday, a league game. Uh, like, I watched him play last night, um, and they looked great. They blew out Niagara. I mean, they were up yeah. 20, 30 points like it was nothing. Um, so, like, right now, I'm a fan of Iona. You know, like, I'm not I'm not watching them to game plan for my, our game. Like, I'm not. I'm, I'm watching them because I want Iona to win. I'm, I don't have a pen and pad out, and I'm sitting there trying to critique the way they play. And I think he's watching our St. Mary's game, and he's a fan of the Lobos. Uh, it'll only turn after the San Fran game, okay. you know, when I start to game plan for Iona. Um, so as much as people like to make it about me versus my dad, like – it's really not going to be that. The only reason I played my dad is because I want Lobo fans to get excited about games in the non-conference. And you get a team, you, know, you you get that, like, I've said this many times, I don't like attention. I don't. I'm not, that's not what I'm all about. But if I can use this father-son thing to get fans in the stands to come see us play, I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to do it. So, um Nothing right now about it. I mean, there's been some logistical things of who's flying in, where's everybody staying. Um, but other than that, like, I don't want to beat my dad because it's my dad, come Iona. I really don't. Like, I, I don't care. My dad's in the Naismith Hall of Fame. Like, I'm not going to catch up to him. You know, like, you got to have to give me about 50 years to catch him in wins. That's not my goal. My goal will be to get us a quality win. It'll be to fill the pit because that's part of this rebuild. And we got one of those taken away. I want to sell it out, but I want to beat a quality team. That really is what it is. It's not going to be like, if I beat my dad, what am I going to say? Oh, 
oh, you have two national titles and you're in the nation of the Hall of Fame, but I beat you. Like, yeah, but take what the that. hell is that? <laughs> you know, like he's made like $100 million coaching. He's got me beat. I know he's got me beat. Um, I'm just, I think it's a great game to engage in our community. I think it's a great game to help improve our net and our Ken Palm. Other than that, like, He's got me beat in the coaching department. He's coached two NBA teams. I was fired at 39 years old. I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable in my own skin. So you're not suggesting he's going to be on your staff at some point down the road if it doesn't work out at Iona? You're... Yeah, you know, he likes warm weather. So, you know, I'd love to hire him as a state. He could, he'd help in a lot of ways. But He could do no, ops. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He could do uh, practice. He could get with Bradbury. Where, where are you guys practicing today? He'd be perfect <laughs> at that. But, no, I – I, again, like I said, I did aim for two reasons. I want to sell out the pit. I want yeah. this community to be as excited as they were for New Mexico. And I know they're excited right now, uh, but it is a great opportunity for that. And it's a quality win opportunity for me. Richard, I appreciate you doing this. I know, I know we've gone long too. So um, I appreciate you doing this. Good luck with uh, obviously everything else that's uh, as things kind of head towards conference play. But um, unless there's anything else you sort of want to wrap things up with, I will uh, sign off here and appreciate your time. All righty. Thank you. Have a good Saturday. All right. Well, there you go. There's my conversation with Richard Patino. Thanks to the Lobo men's basketball coach uh, for doing this on Saturday afternoon for about 45, 50 minutes or whatever that was there. So much appreciated for that. Obviously been a, a really unique season. I know there's a lot of Lobo fans that are excited about the start of this season. Some of them may be surprised. Some of them who every year think this is the the start of the season that they should have. Maybe they're not so surprised, but the excitement's certainly back. There is a lot of interest, a lot of feedback that I am now getting from, from fans that I haven't heard about or heard from in several years. So I do know that there is certainly some interest again in this Lobo basketball program. That is an uptick from recent years when the team was struggling so much. So Again, appreciate Richard Pertino for his conversation and, and everything we covered, all the bases we covered in this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed these podcasts. I'll keep them coming. Let me know what you think. abqjournal.com slash sports is where you can follow all our coverage. Grammar at abqjournal.com is my email. And at Jeff Grammar on Twitter. Always available to interact with listeners to, of this podcast and readers of our content on abqjournal.com. So let me know what you think. Keep the feedback coming. And however you listen, if it's on iTunes or or whatever, however you listen to this podcast, please rate and subscribe to this podcast. The episodes will drop into your inbox the second you get them if you're subscribed so or the second I upload them. So please rate and subscribe. That also helps us out with the podcast. So hope you enjoyed this conversation and episode 55 of the Talking Grammar podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.